continuing our study of Exodus, and today we're starting off in chapter 6. And Ben kindly said that I didn't have to read out the family record of Moses and Aaron, with all its lovely names, and so you can take a look at that yourselves later. So we're going to start actually at verse 28, it's on page 63 of the Bibles and the chairs in front of you. Exodus chapter 6, starting at verse 28. Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned the wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Thank you, Sarah. Um, It's been a little while, it's been a couple of weeks since we uh, have been in Exodus. So I thought it would just be helpful just to uh, do a little recap of kind of where the story so far, where have we got to. Uh, And to start that properly, we've actually really got to go back to Genesis, uh, if you can remember, we've had various little sermon series over the past uh, year uh, looking at the, the story of Abraham, uh, the great promises that God made to Abraham to, to make him, uh, uh, to bless him, to, to make him a great nation, to, to give him a land. And then we, we cracked through uh, that story of Abraham and we came to his son uh, Isaac. Uh, and then Isaac, there was Jacob and his 12 sons. Uh, and then we have that sort of uh, Joseph story. Uh, and we, you might remember that, that, 
we end up with Joseph and we end up in Egypt. And at the end of uh, sort of Genesis, we get to a point where there are 70 of them uh, heading in to Egypt. There's this one family, a big family, but it's one family. So they're, they're heading into this land of Egypt where they're going to be uh, living in safety because of escaping the famine. And then we jump forward about 400 years and we see a couple of things. That The first is that actually that the people have grown. They're no longer 70. They're so numerous that the country is filled with them. They're everywhere. But we also see that there's a new king in Egypt uh, who didn't know Joseph and doesn't like the fact that there are so many of these Israelites. In fact, he's worried about them. He's worried they may raise up and, and join a foreign army and take over Egypt. Uh, so he comes up with a plan to, to oppress them, to, to really, I suppose, to, in some respects, uh, destroy them. Uh, the first is that he places slave masters over them. Uh, he makes them work hard, uh, which is both to, I suppose, economically grow Egypt, but also to, to break their spirits, to, to maybe even uh, kill some off. But, but that doesn't work. So then he instructs the, the Hebrew midwives that when they get to the delivery, uh, if it's a baby, boy, they're to, to kill it, to throw it into the Nile. But we saw that didn't uh, work either. So then he gives that awful command that everybody, if they see a baby Hebrew boy, is to throw it into the Nile. But that uh, doesn't work. And then we land to, to Moses, and we end up with Moses you know, being put in the, the Moses basket, the kind of the basket of reeds, and it ends up down the river, and it just so happens it, it finds Pharaoh's daughter, the one who should be the, least, the most keen to tip him up and put him into the river, uh, doing what her father says, but she doesn't. She looks after him, brings her, him into the, the royal court, and he gets grown up. And then we, we see Moses actually try to lead a rebellion. He clearly knows who he is, who his sort of family are, and he tries to lead that rebellion, but it, it doesn't work. He, he kills the Egyptian, and then the, the Israelites don't like him. And so he actually ends up fleeing uh, Egypt, and he goes into Midian, into the wilderness. He runs away. And he's in the wilderness for uh, about 40 years. And then he sees the burning bush. And the Lord says, I am who I am. That, that great moment of discovery that, that says, I'm the promise-keeping God. I'm the one who will deliver you. And Moses gets a bit worried. He says, well, how, how am I going to do this? And how am I going to tell the Israelite leaders? How are they going to believe me? And the Lord says, well, you know, you put your staff down, turn to a snake, put your hand in, into your cloak. It will be leprous, put it back in, it will be clean. He gives these signs he says, oh, but I can't talk. Says, oh, where's your brother Aaron? He can go and talk for you. And so then they, chapter 5, they go to Pharaoh and say, uh, Pharaoh, will you let our people go into the wilderness for three days uh, to have a festival? And Pharaoh says, no. And so then the first half of chapter 6, the Lord says, well, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to deliver this people. And we're just on the tip of this story taking off. So that's my, let's pray uh, as we begin. Father, we thank you for this amazing story, this great story. 
And we pray that it, it would just see, not just as a, a tale of bygone age, but actually a, a greater confidence that you are the Lord who acts, the Lord who's good, and the Lord will keep his promises. Amen. Um, as Sarah said, our passage does start in verse 13, but, but it's a bit of a digression, really. Just look at verse 13 of chapter 6. Uh, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. But we also have actually a very similar, almost identical verse in verses 28 and 29. Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I will tell you. Uh, So this bit in between actually is a bit of a a digression. It's a bit of a family tree. Uh, If you just glance your eyes down, uh, you see verse 14, these were the heads of the families. Uh, And then we start with Jacob's sons, his older son, uh, Reuben, verse 14, then his second son, Simeon. Uh, Then his third son, Levi, and Levi is when we get even more detail, uh, verses 16 to 25. Uh, And the big idea of of what the author is trying to tell us is this, is that Levi had a son, Kophath, Kophath had a son, Amron, and Amron had a son, Aaron and Moses. It's there to establish that this Aaron and Moses are part of God's people. Uh, Verses 26 and 27. It was this Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, it is this Aaron and Moses. So this little digression is there just so we know that this mysterious figure that comes from the wilderness from 40 years actually is part of God's people. He really is Israelite. And so then we get back then into the main story, which is what Sarah uh, read for us. And it's for Moses and Aaron to go back to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. But what was Pharaoh like? Well, Pharaoh was the, uh, the political and religious head of Egypt. Uh, arguably, at the day, he was the most powerful man on the planet, Egypt was a completely hierarchical system, and right at the top was Pharaoh. Uh, He could do uh, whatever he liked. He uh, talked like a god. He acted like a god. He believed he was a god. It's his divine right to rule. And it's to this person that Moses goes. So it kind of seems perhaps a bit fitting or natural that Moses says in verse 30, Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Now there, he's both commenting on his inability to communicate, which is true, but he's also commenting on saying, look, I'm just a nobody. This is the most powerful man on the planet. We've already tried going once, and he said no. What's he going to change it now? Well, at this point, the Lord says three things, three things to Moses. Uh, The first is, he says, Moses, I I will make you God to Pharaoh. I will make you God to Pharaoh. Verse one. Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I've made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. 
Uh, Moses, you don't think you've got any way of speaking to this person. Well, uh, to the man who thinks he's a god, Pharaoh, I'm going to send you a visible, tangible representation of me, the true and living God. Uh, You're going to go and you will be like God to him. Uh, Aaron will speak your words. And so when Aaron speaks your words, he's actually speaking the words, my words, the true and living God. Uh, I'm going to send you as a physical symbol to Pharaoh. So when you talk, that's what you're doing. You're raising the game. It's not really just you talking. I am going to Pharaoh. That's the first thing he says. He says, Moses, you will be like God to Pharaoh. But then secondly, he says he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Verse 3. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. What does that mean? What does that really mean? I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Well, if we take um, chapter 4 to chapter 14, there are about 20 references to hardening of heart. Either specific, mostly saying hardened, but, but also uh, tying in the same sort of root words, sort of stubbornly refusing, um, and other few other words like that. It, it, it's just, there are 20 references to that. Uh, three of them uh, speak the Lord saying, this is what I will do. It's a future point. So this is what I will do. There are 17 uh, where it talks about hardening of heart. Roughly, half of them talk about Pharaoh hardening his own heart. Half of them talk about the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart. And generally speaking, uh, the first half are all Pharaoh hardening his own heart. So up to chapter 9, it's all Pharaoh hardening his own heart against the Lord. Uh, Then halfway through chapter 9, we see uh, the Lord. So Pharaoh here, we see, sees all the works of the Lord, hears of the Lord, sees the wonders of the Lord, but refuses to believe. That's what it means for him to harden his heart. He sees the Lord, the works of the Lord, and he refuses to believe. And then later on, uh, the Lord just gives Pharaoh what he wants. That's the decision he makes. And so uh, the Lord just hardens his heart for a time, and it is a time-limited thing, in order that uh, the, wor- the glorious works of the Lord might be displayed. Uh, please don't think this is Pharaoh who, who would love to follow the Lord. He would love to do what the Lord said, but he's being forced not to. Some sort of what some people have called an alien guilt. That he'd love to follow the Lord, but, but the Lord is forcing him to be guilty. That's not the case at all. I mean, Pharaoh is the taskmaster, he's a, a murderer. He is facing God's judgment upon him. And what is that judgment? Being given what he wants. which actually is often what the Lord does to us all. Uh, It's been said that we have two choices, or there are two words that are said, or one set of words that are said by two different people. It's that we either say to the Lord, your will be done. 
and we place him as Lord of our life. Or the Lord says to us, your will be done. You want a life without me, your will be done. The signs and wonders that will melt the hearts of some hardened Pharaoh. Or as someone once put it, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. The Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart so that he won't listen so that his glories may be displayed. And then lastly, the Lord performed wonders and miracles to bring his people out. Uh, halfway uh, through verse four. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt with mighty acts of judgment. I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. The Lord will act to bring out his people. Uh, this is the, the prelude, really, to the chapters that are about to come, the plagues. Uh, the Lord is going to act to bring out his people. But he does that at verse five. And the Egyptians will know, will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. The Lord is doing this so that the Egyptians will know, and indeed so we will know, that he is the Lord. Pharaoh could have at any moment said, you can go. At any moment he could have released them. It would not break the Egyptian economy to release the Israelites. They had so many slaves, more than they needed. He could have said, off you go, that's fine. He could have done it at any moment. But for him to say that would be to admit that he wasn't a God. And admit that Yahweh is. And so he won't. He won't say that he is not God, he won't do it. And then this then moves us into this story of the snakes. Uh, snakes in sort of Egyptian times were, were very prominent and important. So you might see things uh, like this. And if I just zoom in a little bit closer, what do you see at the top? Two snakes. Uh, snakes were uh, almost a, sort of that divine being in Egyptian culture. The, the, god, the, the sun god uh, was imaged as a snake. And here we have this story of snakes. Uh, and interestingly, we, we don't actually get much of the dialogue. Uh, the Lord says, look, Aaron, when Pharaoh says, you do this, and then verse 10, so Mary's and Pharaoh went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. We don't have the kind of what the Pharaoh said, what Aaron said, this to and fro. We just have the act, just the story of what went on. And it's this story, isn't it, that, uh, that Aaron put his staff down the floor and it, and it turned into a serpent. Uh, and then the magicians, the, the conjurers came and they did exactly the same thing. And we're meant to think they did do exactly the same thing. We're meant to think that actually they, they did perform some miraculous deed of turning their staffs into snake. This isn't some uh, sort of dupe. But then, 
verse 12, Aaron's staff swallowed up theirs. There's this picture before us of God and his prophet, Moses and Aaron, God and his prophet, against the anti-God, Pharaoh, and his prophets, the magicians, as a battle going on. This picture that's before us, and what happens? Yes, they, they both produce a snake, but only one snake wins. There is no competition or battle. The Lord wins. His power cannot be matched. But yet, verse 13, Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. So what's this story uh, all about? This little uh, chapter, if you will. Well, on a basic level, it it is just teeing up what is to come. On a basic level, it is a a little microcosm story of the bigger story of, of the plagues. That there is this battle between the Lord and Pharaoh. The, the, the snakes play that out in a little way, and we're going to see that in a much bigger and grander way uh, over the coming chapters. Uh, we see that the, the Lord uh, triumphs over Pharaoh. In a small way, this story is just the, the prologue to what is to come. Just give us a snapshot of that bigger view. But it's also just helpful to remember where this story shows us that the Lord will triumph. I mean, there are so many occasions, aren't they, uh, in the Bible and in church history when it just looks like God's people have lost. I mean, here we're in a situation where God's people are, are slaves. They've asked the boss if they can go, and he said no. It looks like there's nothing they can do. Uh, later on, we, we see... If you'll come tonight, we're starting in Daniel. The people are carted off from the land. The temple's ransacked. It looks like they're going to lose. If you look at stories of missionaries in China, when they were all kicked out a few decades ago, it looked like the story of the gospel in China was lost. But through every single one of them, every single one, the Lord wins. We know what's to come uh, when we come through the plagues. The Lord is going to win. He's going to carry them out. He's going to do with his word. But when we look at that story of Daniel, we see uh, the Lord is there and in present. He accomplishes purposes. When we see that story of the missionaries in China, actually, we see a growth of the local Chinese church more than we can ever imagine. And perhaps most supremely of all, we see that in the moment of the Lord Jesus. When the death of God's own son looks like the biggest and worst defeat you could ever have. But he uses it to bring about the salvation of all. God always brings victory from defeat. Always. It's just what he does. So we always have hope. We're just, this morning, just placing ourselves in this little moment of this story. 
but we stand back and see the bigger story. We see the plagues, we see the Red Sea, we see the cross of Christ, and so we know we win. Whatever you're facing over the coming days, weeks, months, years, however insurmountable your challenges look or feel uh, to you, the whole world around, or just to yourself, remember this. The Lord always brings victory from defeat. It might take time. It took years and years and years in the story of Exodus. But that's the story we're in. And because of the cross, we know he'll do it. But to finish on, let's come back to this hardening of heart. When we look at a verse like that and it says, the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart, it'd be very easy to to bring an agenda to that. To say, look, see, the Lord's a monster. Look what he's doing. It's not fair. Or it might be an excuse to say, look, I just, I don't think, I don't, I can't take it a bit seriously until I get this out of the way. Or, you know, why does the Lord do that? I, I just, that needs to be sorted before we can look at this. But I think the answer we must come to is to say, as the Lord tells Abraham in Genesis Will not the Lord of all the earth do what is right? Will not the Lord of all the earth do what is right? And all the evidence that we have from biblical history, from church history, maybe even from our own history, says, will not the Lord of all the earth do what is right? Will he not act rightly? Will he not do good so yes, that there are hard questions for us to answer. But actually what this passage is telling us is saying, don't be like Pharaoh. Don't harden your heart. Don't see uh, the Lord's words before you. Don't hear his word on a Sunday and say, oh, doesn't matter. Don't walk in here, uh, sing some songs, say some words and walk out again and just think, what do we do? Later on in the New Testament, the author of the Hebrews, three times, chapter 3, verse 7, verse 15, and 4, verse 7, take up these words. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Three times in the space of 20 verses. So this morning, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, uh, if you hear his voice, do not harden like the clay, melt like the wax. A simple prayer would be to say, Lord, I believe, turn my heart from clay to wax. Help me not harden my heart. That's a prayer we can all pray daily, that we may come to the Lord and have open hearts that want to hear him, want to follow him for who he is, knowing that he's won the victory. The Lord Jesus has shown us that. And in the moments of trial and difficulty, we say, Lord, I believe. Help my heart turn from clay to wax, so I may follow you. Let's pray that now. Lord,
help me believe. Turn my heart from clay to wax, I pray, so that today I will not harden my heart. Today I may turn to you in trust, in faith, because of Jesus. Amen.